All right, if everybody wants to return to their seats, I love hearing the conversations. They're like quiet conversations this morning too. It doesn't, didn't seem as loud in here, but everybody seemed to just be kind of talking. I don't, maybe everybody's tired this morning. Uh, feel free to continue those conversations after the service. Uh, my name is Jared Severson. Uh, I am one of the elders here at Hope Heights, and I'm excited to get up here and walk through our passage in Romans with you. Um, I heard some conversations about this question, or I had a conversation about this question. You know, some of the things I heard of is uh, one person was scared of the, the polar plunge, jumping into the ice cold water. I don't know if that's something that some of you have done before. I don't mind cold water. So for me, like the polar plunge, that was something that was fun. And then I run around and jump in again. I uh, also heard uh, online teaching, something kind of initially scared of, but not really that bad. And then another person shared uh, with me that uh, they're just scared of everything. So um, <laughs> for me, uh, I grew up actually in Rochester, Minnesota, and it was always fun coming up to the big city to kind of do things, go to sporting events, go to different places. And so um, I always enjoyed that. And every summer, my family would actually come up and take a day trip. Is this going to work? Oops back. There we go. My family would always take a day trip to uh, Valley Fair. And so when I think of something that I was scared of, the first thing that came to mind for me was this right here. Uh, this looks a little bit different now. Now it's painted like some fancy bright kind of teal and orange colors and stuff like that. Uh, but this is uh, the old school blue corkscrew. And I was deathly afraid of this as a kid. Uh, I love going to amusement parks and going on rides, just not the roller coasters. Uh, I could not get myself, as much as I kind of would try to build things up, would not get myself to go on a roller coaster. Um, I'd always go wait by the exit while my family and my friends would go on those roller coasters, and then they'd come off and proclaim how awesome it was, and they'd want to go back on it, and I'd have to just sit there by the exit again and wait for them again. Uh, I was just too scared. Killed me that my younger brother was braver than me and that he would go on these roller coasters and stuff too, but I was just too scared. Uh, it took me in eighth grade going on a church youth group trip to Valley Fair and some very significant peer pressure to actually get me to go on that ride. And once I went on it, now roller coasters are by far my favorite, uh, my favorite amusement park rides. I love them. Uh, and so it was one of those things where, yeah, I don't know why I was so scared of them, but once I did, man, I love them now. And so continue those conversations after, after the service, definitely with each other. Uh, we are currently in a series studying Romans here at Hope. Uh, as we navigate this kind of book of the Bible that we've been going through, uh, there's some resources for us to use during this uh, sermon series. Uh, much of this can be accessed on our app or on our, on our website. Uh, we've got devotions, articles, podcasts, among other things. Uh, we also have scripture journals. I know some of you, I saw you bring them in this morning. Uh, scripture journals available out in the lobby too. And so those are nice because they've got our Romans kind of scriptures on one side. And then on the other side is just a blank page where you can take notes, write reflections, you know, anything like that that might bless you as we go through this. So if you haven't already, feel free to, to grab one of those. They're, they're free to you uh, to use as we, as we do navigate uh, this book of Romans. Uh, last week, just to kind of give us a quick kind of review, uh, we focused on Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. And we learned that these verses are kind of the theme of the book of Romans. 
Uh, And so I'll just read this here quickly to just remind us where we were last week. Uh, In verse 16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And so Paul wrote this letter to the church in Rome to remind them that the gospel isn't something that we should be ashamed of. It's the power of God to save us for salvation, making us righteous and making us right with God. And that's really great news. Uh, This week, as we move into our next kind of section, we're gonna continue our study of Romans by looking at this passage. It's kind of a longer passage, uh, chapter one, verses 18 through 32. Uh, It is a long passage, but we're actually gonna spend today and the next three weeks in this same kind of passage, looking at some different parts of it. And so after the introduction we just heard and this good news about what the gospel is that Paul was communicating to the the church in Rome, uh, however, he continues on with something that we might not really expect. Things really kind of take a little bit of a dark turn here. Uh, And he introduces us to some some bad news. Um, It's kind of like this boat that we're, you know, ready to go on this voyage, we're ready to go sailing. We get in the boat and we maybe take off a little bit and then all of a sudden we start sinking. So that's kind of where we're going today. So again, not real uh, long passage. We'll kind of navigate through this and I'll kind of clarify what we're gonna be focusing on here in just a bit. So let's read Romans 1, 18 through 32. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles." Therefore, God gave them over to the sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised, amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with men or with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They're gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Uh, That was a lot. Uh, Didn't we learn just from last week, didn't we learn that the gospel meant good news? So the question is, why is Paul telling us about this bad news? The reality is that we're disobedient people and there are consequences of that. 
And we also must know this bad news so we remember how good the good news is. If we don't know this bad news, then the good news might really not kind of have that same weight that it should or hold that same weight that it should for us. Uh, so this week, I'm just going to go back to verse 18 here. We're going to do a broad overview. Now, this really kind of seems, again, like a dark, kind of deep set of verses here. But as I was kind of sitting with this a lot, a lot this week, really kind of became a, a wonderful passage. And so we're going we're gonna to look at this kind of, I'm going to quote unquote, wonderful passage uh, on the wrath of God. When I was initially asked to talk today, you know, I was a little scared and nervous because my first thought that, you know, wrath is all about anger, punishment, judgment. Um, they're not characteristics that I really like to attribute to a loving God or a loving Jesus. Uh, what I know of, of a forgiving, kind of loving Jesus at first glance doesn't really seem to match up with what kind of w- what we just read or with God's wrath. So it's kind of, kind of confusing. Um, I know there are people that have rejected the Old Testament, rejected even Christianity as a whole based on their thoughts and ideas regarding God's wrath and punishment. Um, So it's really a heavy and loaded topic. Um, We're going to take a look at a quote from someone who's kind of trying to reconcile these ideas. Um, His name is Harry Emerson Fosdick. Uh, He was a leader in the modernist Christianity movement back in the 1920s and 30s. And uh, many many of our kind of Western ways of thinking are, you know, kind of um, evident in, in kind of this quote that he has. And so he stated this, he says, primitive man had a devilish concept of God. Noah's God destroyed the earth with a flood. Abraham's God was a bloodthirsty God who wanted a human sacrifice. The God of Moses was the horrible God of volcanic fire speaking to him from Sinai. Little by little, man has advanced as the centuries rolled on. David began to have, a high ethical, or have high ethical thoughts of God, but they were mixed with the terrible Psalms that called down wrath upon the enemy. By the time of the prophets, God was really improving. He now hated unrighteousness and spoke out against the crimes committed by men. And when Jesus came along, the idea of God took on, another, took on the marvelous concept of fatherhood and brotherhood, the greatest idea up to that time. But Jesus also had the repugnant idea of hell. So in this quote, you can kind of hear the thinking that a loving God cannot be a God of judgment and hell. Uh, In his thinking, these kind of two things, being loving and being wrathful, can't be true at the same time. Uh, God God needed to change, grow wiser throughout history. And according to Fosdick, God has been doing that. God's been changing Uh, He hypothesizes that as God becomes more and more enlightened, he gets rid of these kind of backward ideas like wrath. Um, On a side note, I would just kind of venture a guess that this type of thinking or this way of thinking is probably just a reflection of his own, uh, Harry Fosdick's here, his own kind of trust in his own enlightenment and kind of a reflection of the human and sinful desire to trust our own logic rather than trusting in the God of the universe. So what really is God's wrath actually about? You know, is it like Fosdick thought here where it's all about death and destruction and hell? Or can God kind of in his wrath also be holy, be just, and also deeply loving? Uh, It's hard to believe in all of God like that, all of his characteristics, all of his qualities. 
Uh, we try to make God fit our own mold a lot of times. We want him to meet our expectations, uh, not the other way around. Uh, we have to remember that God is not us. So how does God's word, going back to Romans here now, how does God's word kind of reconcile that relationship between wrath and love? Now let's go back to our verses here from Romans. In verse 18, we see that the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the, un, or excuse me, all the godlessness and wickedness of the people uh, who suppress the truth by their wickedness. So Paul's gonna start with this concept of wrath, but he's not gonna leave it there. So we see, uh, what's this, 15 verses or so uh, through 32, 14 verses uh, where Paul is going to talk about this concept of wrath and what God's wrath is. But ultimately, he's not going to leave it here. Uh, eventually, he's going to show us how the gospel reveals how Christ turns things around. Um, verse 18 is not Paul's final statement in the matter. It's just that starting point in his explanation of gospel, of the gospel. So what's the message here? What is God's wrath? How does the Bible define it? Uh, first of all, wrath according to our verses, is a punishment for a crime or an offense, okay? So according to this verse again now, the world is currently under God's wrath. The verb used here is is, not was, not will be, uh, but God's wrath is presently being revealed. So God's wrath is a current consequence or punishment for crimes and wrongful acts. So then the next question is, what's our crime? How do we figuratively kind of slap our holy God in the face. The verse continues on here at the end of it to say that our wickedness starts by suppressing the truth. So what does suppressing the truth look like? I think it's like this, okay? Uh, think of this analogy of a beach ball. So you're trying to submerge a beach ball underwater. I'm sure a lot of us have done that in pools when we were kids or maybe even as, as adults, we try to do that see if we can hold it down. But that's kind of what suppressing the truth is. You're trying to submerge this beach ball in a, in a swimming pool. You actively have to take that beach ball and push it down and hold it under the water because as soon as you let it go, pops right back up. Okay, God's truth is known to us. God's holiness, his justice, his character, it's all around us. Unrighteous people, which includes all of us by nature, don't want to know what's true about God. Okay, we don't believe because we don't want to. The problem is not that truth is unavailable to us or we don't know. Problem is that we're suppressing it. We're actually holding and actively holding God's truth down and underwater like that beach ball. So if we look on to verse 19 here, kind of continuing on, Paul shares a few reasons why God might be angry at sinners, how we actually suppress the truth. So in verse 19, it says, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to us. So when we suppress that truth, how has God made it plain to us? He continues on in verse 20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his power, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what's been made so that people are without excuse. So God has shown us who he is his power and his creation. We can see the intricacies of his design just by looking out our window on a daily basis. Look at our neighbors and our friends and our family that are sitting next to us. Uh, he shows us that he's creator, yet we suppress that. We hold that down, that beach ball underwater uh, and try to be our own creators. 
If we continue on in verse 21, Paul says, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. So another way that we kind of slap a holy God in the face is by not giving thanks to him. He sustains us, he gives us, uh, sustains us, and we don't give him glory for that. As a middle school teacher, so that's my, my day job as a middle school teacher, uh, it's very, very easy to be negative, okay? Uh, how often do I find myself in the teacher's lounge just complaining about students, complaining about administration, complaining about anything? I'm sure whether you're a teacher or whether you have some other job, you might find yourself doing something similar kind of around the water cooler, um, whatever, but we just like to complain about things that are maybe wrong with our lives, wrong with our jobs. What does that mentality get us? I think it drives us deeper and deeper into despair, hopelessness. Uh, and that way of thinking that Paul describes here is futile and foolish. What if we thank God for our students? What if we thank God for our coworkers, our friends, our family, our situations? What if we give God glory for each and op every opportunity that we have daily? I would imagine that that hopelessness, that despair would change into joy and eagerness. But instead, we suppress that truth of God's joy and blessing and again, hold that beach ball down. So wrath is the punishment for an offensive hatred or opposition to God who's holy, right, lovely, and our father and creator. So wrath is, again is that punishment for a crime or offense. And then the second thing that I think we see here in these verses is that wrath is also God just letting us go. We see that here in verses 24 and 26. So at the beginning of 24, he says, therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts. In 26, because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. So what we do as people is we trade away the sin or we, we trade away the sin and live as if God doesn't exist. So sin makes God then angry, wrathful, that he then just allows us to do what we want. And I remember the story of the prodigal son. Uh, in that parable, Jesus talks about a father just letting his son take his inheritance and run away from the family. That father just lets his son go. Uh, the son leaves, squanders his wealth, lives how he wants, only to end up in a pig pen, living like an animal, dirty, filthy, uh, and actually eating the food that was meant for the pigs. A lot of times we think we're like that son where we know what's best and we try to do it our own way. And so a lot of times I would argue that God just lets us go. Um, a little video clip here. I'm gonna go back and preface this first. Uh, <laughs> So in, in, there's, there's different documentary, documentaries about different animals and things like that. And so uh, some, some of them are of, of uh, like mother animals. Um, there was one that I was talking with Drew about and we couldn't find that clip about it, but of a, a mother fox that just kind of lets her babies go and try to experience things, just kind of letting them go. And then before something really bad happens to them, then snatches them back. Um, this one's a little bit different, but uh, this one's with a leopard and some porcupines. But just think about how we are like as we watch this little clip here. It's just a 20 second clip. How are we like this 
porcupine, or not the porcupine, the leopard. How are we like this leopard that, you know, our, our parent or God just kind of lets us go and learns things on our own? quite get all of the sound with this and but you can see like this leopard here you can see like this leopard here we oftentimes just don't learn our lesson quality of this isn't isn't great i apologize that but we don't really learn our lesson all the time we try to go our own way without god we go up to that porcupine and we get quills stuck in us and then oh there's another one I'm going to go over there and try this again maybe try it a different way and the same things happen and then we start pulling those quills out because our way wasn't the right way it just didn't work for us. Uh so we find wrath kind of in the brokenness and the evil and the death of going our own way. And so God's wrath is letting us go until then we realize hey this isn't working and we do come running back for him because we recognize our need for him. Uh, one of my boys and I are doing a devotional together and we're kind of reading through the Bible. I think it's the Bible in a, in a year or the New Testament, excuse me, in, in a year. And we're just kind of going through it. And as part of that devotional this week, I came across Acts chapter seven. Um, and as I read it, I was like, this Acts seven details a, a sermon or a speech that Stephen gives right before he gets stoned to death. It's like, oh man, that just sounds a lot of what he says in there really ties in. And so I wanted to include that in here. Um, but Stephen was in front of the high priest. Um, he had been falsely charged with being blasphemous towards God. And so he was then kind of right before his death, he was giving a speech that really, again, tied into what Paul was talking about here in our Romans passage. And so in his speech, we're not gonna read the whole thing. Uh, he talks about Jewish history how the Jewish people saw miracle after miracle after miracle, yet continued to reject that and suppress the truth and want to, wanting to go their own way. And so we're going to just read uh, verse 42 and then skip to 51 through 58. But this is Stephen talking and he says, but God turned away from them and gave them over to the worship of sun, moon, and stars. And then in 51, he says, you stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was given through angels, but have not obeyed it. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven opened and the son of man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. Now in verse 42, Stephen shares how God allowed them to worship other things, the sun, the moon, the stars, they wouldn't find fulfillment, as we know, in that worship. Um, Stephen also talks about how these Jewish leaders resist the Holy Spirit. They suppress that truth and how God has revealed himself to them through the law in this case, but 
they refuse to, refuse to obey. So what's their reaction? Well, their reaction then is they're furious. They gnash their teeth. They refuse to hear this by covering their ears. Ultimately, they kill Stephen. What an awful example of kind of holding that beach ball underwater and suppressing the truth that you would kill somebody over that. But then notice in verse 58, uh, this is, I think, a really cool connection about, you know, our passage in Romans to kind of this, uh, that Stephen uh, at his execution, excuse me, not Stephen, but Saul at Stephen's execution was right there. He was standing there watching this whole thing. He might've even been one of the individuals that actually condoned this or kind of encouraged this. Um, and so you see in verse 58 that, you know, these witnesses are, are putting their coats down at the feet of a young man named Saul who eventually be, name changes to Paul and he's the one who wrote our Romans passage. And so kind of a, a cool connection how, you know, there can be redemption out of all of this as well. So going back to our Romans uh, passage, we see verse 28. Uh, in verse 28, it says, furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they would do what ought not to be done. Here again, we see an example of how God gives us over to our sin. Now, we have to be very, very careful as Christians. Uh, we don't wanna look at a passage like this. I think oftentimes we as Christians kind of do that. We might look at this whole passage and say to ourselves or others, well, verse 26 and 27, which aren't up here on the screen right now, but in verse 26 and 27, Paul used more words talking about sexual sin and talking about homosexuality. So that's gotta be the worst sin. But if we take the totality of this passage as being about God's wrath, about punishment and the part of that wrath that's just letting us live in our sin, if we choose to suppress the truth that we know, we can't overlook all of the sins that are here that actually are a slap to the face of God. So if we look at this list here, all these highlighted sins, we have wickedness, evil, greed, depravity, envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, gossip, slander, God-hating, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventing ways of doing evil, disobeying parents, no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. That's quite an extensive list. As I looked at this this week, I see a lot of those things that are true for me. You know, disobey parents, I know that was my younger brother. Oh, oh, wait, now I'm being arrogant or boastful, okay? So you can see how, you know, we can just fall into all of those different categories here. We can't escape this list. We can't escape these sins. This list is us. This list is me. Uh, and nowhere in here does Paul rank any sins. You know, he doesn't say that, well, God's gonna punish sin number one in this way. And then sin number two, well, that's not as bad. So the punishment's not as severe, okay? Instead, Paul tells us this right here. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things do any of those things on that list, we deserve death. Not only continue to do those very things, but also approve of others who practice them as well. Remember, God's made all of this very plain to us. We know every one of these sins deserves death, yet we continue to do these, do these things and practice them. Uh, Donald McLeod 
says, Paul is not teaching that one day God will punish Roman civilization for its vice and decadence. On the contrary, the vice and decadence are themselves God's punishment. Their punishment was their greed, envy, strife, deceit, violence, and faithfulness. Those things, being boastful and knowing that that doesn't work, that, that's a punishment in and of itself. Uh, so if we go back to kind of our definition, the two things that we can see from this Romans verses about what wrath, what God's wrath is, uh, this is God's wrath. Sometimes he just lets us be in our sin and we deserve punishment for that. So this seems like bad news, okay? And it is bad news. If you look ahead in Romans chapter 1, 18, where we started today, all the way through chapter 3, verse 20 is all about bad news. So Paul just got done with these two verses that says, hey, this is all what the gospel is about. This is the good news. We don't need to be ashamed of this. And now he spends two, ver- two chapters with this bad news, taking this turn. Now his, his letter to the Romans or any of his letters were intended by that church to actually be read from start to finish, kind of all at one time. If we were to do this, you know, if we started reading through this, it would take us a few minutes to read through kind of the bad news to get to what's next. Um, however, in our Romans series, one of our, one of our hopes is that we want to actually just kind of sit in this bad news for a while. Uh, and so we're actually going to be in this kind of bad news through verse, the, the middle of verse three, probably until kind of mid-May sometime. But the hope is by kind of slowing down and actually spending all this time focusing on some of this bad news is to make the good news that much sweeter and have more of an appreciation for what that good news is. Um, So circling back, however, if we have this bad news that we and the world around us are all under God's wrath, how do we then reconcile that concept of God being a loving and at the same time wrathful God? So the idea that God can be holy, just, and loving is what this man, Miroslav Volf, is kind of getting at with this quote. Um, I did listen to some of the Romans Untangled podcast this week. That's again on our app or on our website. You can access that um, where it's our our senior pastor, Steve Treichler downtown, uh, kind of running through kind of some of his thoughts and his learning about Romans. But I listened to some of that this week and he mentioned Miroslav Volf. And so I wanted to look him up and, and I found this quote that really kind of speaks to all of God being loving and being wrathful. And so Miroslav Volf says, I used to think that wrath was unworthy of God. Isn't God love? Shouldn't divine love be beyond wrath? God is love and God loves every person and every creature. That's exactly why God is wrathful against some of them. My last resistance to the idea of God's wrath was a casualty of the war in the former Yugoslavia. My villages and cities were destroyed. My people shelled day in and day out. Some of them brutalized beyond imagination. And I could not imagine God not being angry. Or think of Rwanda in the last decade of the past century, where 800,000 people were hacked to death in 100 days. How did God react to the carnage? By doting on the perpetrators in a grandparently fashion? By refusing to condemn the bloodbath, but instead affirming the perpetuator's basic goodness? Wasn't God fiercely angry with them? Though I used to complain about the indecency of the idea of God's wrath, I came to think that I would have to rebel against a God who wasn't wrathful at the sight of the world's evil. 
God isn't wrathful in spite of being love. God is wrathful because God is love. How many things have we seen in the news recently that our hearts just hurt, hurt for and we demand justice for at the same time? Uh, just this week, the shootings in Mississippi and at Michigan State University, uh, George Floyd, Tyree Nichols, uh, Jacob Wetterling, that was one that was, it's an old story, but that was something that was close to, close to me, uh, close to home growing up. Uh, we get angry because those are wrong. Our hearts hurt for our fellow, fellow people fellow humans, how much more would a holy God be angry with those wrongs? Wolf would argue, and I would agree with him, righteously angry because of his great love for humanity and his great love for us. Uh, so get all this bad news and kind of like a long anticipated trailer for a favorite upcoming movie. Uh, we don't want to leave without a sneak peek. We don't want to just leave out thinking that we're, that God's wrathful and that we're you know, we need to be punished and whatever. We want some, we want to give a sneak peek to the middle of chapter three. Um, and that sneak peek tells us that God's wrath has been satisfied. Okay, God's wrath has been satisfied in the life, the death, the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's the great news. That's the gospel. Uh, in Again, sneak peek here in chapter three, verse 22, and then 25 and 26. Paul says this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. So we're made to be righteous through the death, resurrection, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. We're made to be right with God. So all those sins and all those things that were on that list taken away. Uh, he's our sacrifice of atonement, okay? Meaning through his sacrifice, through his death, we can then go before a holy God. We can stand face to face with the Holy God, confident, clean, and without any obstacle. Our sins were taken away if we believe that Jesus took them from us. And again, God is just, like Miroslav Volf quoted, because he loves us. Uh, like, again, going back to the corkscrew analogy here, uh, what I was scared of, like the corkscrew, a lot of times our futile thinking is about God's wrath is really kind of twisted. Uh, our question typically is, how can a loving God allow anyone to go to hell? Rather, I think Paul flips our definition here of wrath kind of upside down. Rather than that question about how a loving God could allow anybody to go to hell, uh, our previous, or we should now ask, how can a holy or righteous God allow anyone into heaven, into his very presence? Um, I always have thought of God's wrath as something to be feared. Well, it is a scary thing. Uh, it also can be very, very sweet. Uh, without the wrath of God, there would be no need for Jesus and there would be no gospel. And so we have that because of the wrath of God. Uh, Colin Smith again says this. He says, don't ever get the idea that God loves you because Christ died for you. Nope, it's the other way around. Christ died for you because God loved you. He loved you even when you were the object of his wrath. God so loved the objects of his wrath that he spent the wrath on himself at the cross the outpouring of God's wrath was the greatest act of love this world has ever seen. 
The hope for sinners is that between us and the wrath of God stands the cross of Jesus. Sin was laid on Jesus and the divine wrath toward it was poured out, spent and exhausted in the darkness of Calvary. And when it was done, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, it is finished. The wrath of God that will one day be poured out on all sin was spent at the cross with regard to all who are in him. Then Christ rose from the dead and he stands before you today, a living savior. He offers to you the priceless gift of peace with God. He's ready to forgive your sins and fill you with his spirit. He's able to save you from the wrath and reconcile you to the father. He has opened the door of heaven and he is able to bring you in. God's a holy and righteous God. He demands justice, but he's also deeply, deeply loving. Uh, Those invisible qualities that we saw back in verse 19 and 20 of his power and divine nature are made clear to us. We can't pick and choose the qualities of God that make him fit our mold. Uh, Those characteristics are all of who he is. Uh, They all work together in the being of God. And when we recognize that, we can better acknowledge him, we can better thank him, and we can better worship him. Um, as February is Black History Month, uh, one of the things that we like to do here at Hope Heights is to highlight an, an individual that we can use as an example to help kind of deepen our faith uh, in Jesus. And today I, I wanna spotlight somebody who you've probably heard of before. Um, a lot of times, you know, Drew gives us some uh, different people that we are maybe obscure historical figures that we haven't heard of a lot before. But uh, today I'm gonna highlight somebody who, uh, we probably have heard of before, many of us have, uh, and that's John Lewis. Uh, John Lewis was born in 1940 in Alabama, rural Alabama. Uh, his family worked on farms picking cotton for the landowners. Uh, he liked being there because he really liked the chickens. Uh, funny story that he, he loved his chickens so much. Uh, he also aspired to be a preacher at one point. Uh, so he would practice at home by preaching the Bible to his chickens. Uh, he also, according to some stories, wouldn't eat chicken at home because he knew the chickens. And so he would eat chicken other places, but just not at home because he, he knew the chickens growing up. So uh, interesting story. Uh, as he got older, he became instrumental in the civil rights movement. Uh, he founded the SNCC or the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. Uh, he organized marches on Washington, D.C. and many sit-ins, all in the hopes of gaining equality. Uh, he was beaten many times by angry mobs, thrown into prison. Uh, he was part of the Selma to Montgomery March uh, in 1965, and during that march, he was beaten and his skull was fractured. Uh, however, through it all, he called it the good trouble that he was, like, that he was getting into. Um, He never did become a preacher, but he used his strong voice to advocate for change in Congress uh, when he was elected in 1987, uh, and he served in Congress until he died not too long ago in 2020. Um, I would encourage you at some point to to do some more looking and uh, just read up on his incredible life. But uh, here's a a guy who had every right to be angry, every right to be vengeful about the wrath that he faced from others. Um, However, he was quoted as saying, I accepted the teaching of Jesus, the way of love, the way of nonviolence, the spirit of forgiveness and reconciliation, the idea that hate is too heavy a burden to bear. I don't wanna go down that road. I've seen too much hate, seen too much violence, and I know love is a better way. I think that's amazing considering all that he went through. Um, So again, I would encourage you to do a little bit more digging 
um, as time allows and just learn a little bit about who he was. Um, at this point, uh, I'm gonna invite the worship team up. Um, as they come up, a few questions for us to kind of consider and reflect on um, about our passage today in Romans. Um, again, we're gonna come back to these over the next three weeks. We're gonna, I just kind of did a kind of a broad overview of this idea that God's wrath is being revealed right now and what that maybe looks like. Um, over the next three weeks, we're gonna have different parts of this passage that we're gonna focus on um, and just, again, kind of sit in this bad news a little bit. So hopefully that we really understand how much better that good news actually is for us. Um, as they're getting ready here, uh, a few questions for us to kind of think about and consider. Uh, do we see God as all of who he is? Do we see God as a just God, a wrathful God, and also a loving God? Uh, do you recognize individually that you've slapped a holy God in the face? Um, what are some things that remind you that you're saved? You know, what are some things that remind you of that good news? And then who do you know that needs to know Jesus died for them and is not just wrathful, is not just out to get them because God is love as we've seen as well. Uh, we're gonna start, we're gonna spend some time here worshiping God, all of God, who he is, who he is um, his wrath and his love. Um, worship takes many forms. Uh, one of those is singing, like the band's up here ready to go now. We're gonna have an opportunity to sing a few songs and glorify Jesus, glorify Jesus that he took away that sin. Uh, that he took God's wrath and punishment that we deserve. Uh, another form of worship is prayer. We'll have um, a few people in the back of the auditorium that are willing to pray for you if you have something. You can also use this time just in silent reflection and prayer with yourself as well. If you do want somebody to pray for you, you can just ask them, tell them what you'd like them to pray for. Or if you just want a general prayer, they would be happy to do that as well. Um, also, at any point during these songs, you can head out to the lobby to take communion. Uh, communion's an opportunity to say thank you to Jesus for his sacrifice. Thank you that he took God's wrath uh, in his death and then his resurrection. Um, at Hope, we believe that communion is a statement to the world that we're saved because he is our savior and our hope is in him. Uh, you don't have to be a member of Hope here of this church or any a member of any church to take communion. We just ask that you are a follower of Jesus. And if you aren't right now, if you're kind of feeling your, your hopelessness and you're feeling the depth of, depths of you know, whatever darkness it may, might be um, right now, you can, you can accept Jesus uh, right where you sit and just turn your life over to him and know that he's taken that wrath for you. Uh, so at this point, before we worship, if you would just bow your heads and pray with me, uh, and then we'll get to singing our songs here. Uh, God, we thank you. Uh, we don't always grasp who you are as we look at kind of tough ideas like this that maybe don't fit within our cultural or human perspectives. Uh, regardless, we pray that uh, we're people that don't try to suppress your truth. Uh, you help us to learn and grow closer to you every day because you love us so much and we need you. Help us to worship you with all our hearts and with all our minds right now. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen.